1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through
2: Romans. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Nobody on his or her own volition really seeks after God. You just respond to Him. God is the one who sees us. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy is the last part of the 23rd Psalm. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's actually a military term in the Hebrew that means to pursue. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is a pursuing God. In today's
1: message, Pastor Gary will remind you of one of the characteristics of God he is the shepherd who went after a singular sheep. In the Old Testament time period, livestock was very nearly currency. If you had a lot of livestock, you were very wealthy. Now, imagine a shepherd has 100 sheep, but he leaves 99 of the sheep to go and rescue a single sheep. Jesus is the shepherd that pursues. While we go off on our own way toward who knows what, He lovingly chases after us to bring us back. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Romans chapter three with today's edition of Cornerstone
2: Connection. You know, if God is ultimately glorified in the way that he deals justly with the world, then I might as well go ahead and sin so that God can be more glorified in the way that he justly deals with people. I mean, it's just absolutely twisted. That's why at the end, Paul just says, their condemnation is deserved. You know, If you're going to think that, if you're going to twist scripture to think, you might as well go ahead and sin so that somehow God is more glorified in the way that he executes justice, that is just absolutely absurd. You deserve to be condemned. That's what he says there. So he addresses that right at the beginning, and then then here's his, from verse 9 down through verse 20, is this summary of the condition of man apart from God. This is the official diagnosis of man, and he's going to use several verses, and and he does this brilliantly, he's going to take... Between verses 9 and 20, he's going to take several verses from the Old Testament, from Psalm 14, Psalm 53, Ecclesiastes 7, Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 107, and Isaiah 59. He's going to weave all this Old Testament scripture to help especially the the Jew understand that just because you have the law does not make you more righteous than anybody else. And so here we go. He says in verse 9, what shall we conclude then? Here's kind of the summary of all that he's said up to this point. Are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Okay, so so he says no special pass for the Jews. You know, are we any better? He says no. He says, We've made this charge. Jews and Gentiles alike are all under sin. Now, that phrase, under sin, you can write in the margin of your Bible, actually is a word that speaks to slavery. So he's saying we are all, as human beings apart from God, under sin in the sense that we are slaves to it. The human nature is enslaved to sin. We were born into sin. David said in the Psalms, surely I was conceived in my mother's womb in sin. He understood that he was sinful from birth, and thus we inherit a sin nature. The propensity to sin is not taught, folks. It is inherited through the ongoing seed of the fallen nature of our great, great ancestor Adam. When he sinned, it spoiled the human race in a very spiritual way. So that in his seed continued to pass the sin nature from man to man to man, from generation to generation to generation. Okay, it is the reason, by the way, that Jesus was born without sin because he did not have a biological father to inherit the sin nature. God, the father, came upon Mary, a virgin, And therefore, the seed that contains the sin nature was not passed on to Jesus, even though his mother had a sin nature, okay, the seed is passed from child to child through the father. And so Jesus then was born without sin, and then he did not sin, the Bible says. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. So he stands distinct in that he didn't receive or inherit a sin nature, but all the rest of us did. It was passed down to us, and we are born into sin the immediate natural propensity you know you can be a kid nobody has to tell a kid to to cheat you know kids do that nobody has to tell a kid to lie kids do that you know you don't have to teach people to do this they just do it naturally i remember you know uh, at bedtime terry and i would take turns reading reading books to the kids i remember one time i was laying down reading a book to tyler and there was coloring all the you know, crayon or magic marker all over the inside of the book because I got in bed to read with him and like it's when he was a little kid you know this marker all through every page and I I opened it up and I was just like "Um, wow I can hardly read this it's like got coloring all over it Tyler who did this and he looked right up at me and he said mommy must have done that (laughs) and nobody had to tell him how to lie he did it on his own because we're born with a sin nature Okay, and so we are born into sin. We're all slaves to sin. Verse 10, he says, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one, nobody. There is no one who understands. And notice this, he says, and no one who seeks God. Now, wait a minute. You say, I saw God. Now, think about it. You didn't really seek God. God sought you, and you responded to God seeking you. That's the reality. Nobody on his or her own volition really seeks after God. You just respond to him. God is the one who seeks us. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and mercy is the last part of the 23rd Psalm. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me It's actually a military term in the Hebrew that means to pursue. Surely goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God is a pursuing God. And God has gone after us because He loves us to redeem us. And if you are trying to run from God because you're not wanting to have a relationship with Him because you you know you're a little afraid or you don't want to surrender, you don't want to you know give up your life and you know and give up some of the stuff that you do and you think that God's a killjoy and so if God gets a hold of me, I won't have any fun anymore in my life. If you believe that lie, okay, and you're running from God, and let me tell you, friends, you're going to be miserable because He's going to track, He's going to hunt you down like a hound dog. And he's going to hunt you down and you will begin to feel this. And everywhere you go, you know, you're going to start to work with different people. And all of a sudden you're going to have more Christians in your office and you're going to go and different places you go, you're going to always be, you know, you're going to turn on the radio and there's always some preacher coming on. Everything that God does to get our attention is incredible because he's pursuing us because he loves us. And he's never content as a loving father to allow us to remain the way we are. And so he will pursue us and he will go after us. No one really seeks God. God seeks us, and we respond to him. Verse 12, he says, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. That word worthless in the Greek is a word that was applied to rotten fruit when it was completely worthless. You just have to throw it out. He says, there is no one who does good, not even one. Okay, again, this is where the people who play the comparison game would would stop and go, no, 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 that isn't true. I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. I'm a good person. I have a good heart. You know, there's a lot of good intentions, but you've heard this expression before that the road to hell is paved with good intentions. There are a lot of good people who mean well, and so in that sense, they're good. But when it comes to the human heart and the human condition, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's no one who does good. That at the end of the day, every single one of us is a sinner. And then in verse 13 to 18, he's going to quote various scripture verses. Some of your Bibles have footnotes that that lists all this from Psalm 5, Psalm 140, Psalm 10, Isaiah 59. And he's going to basically lift out verses from the Old Testament that talk about all aspects of your body. And the reason he's going to do this is he's he's going to basically say, Man is guilty from head to toe. Man is guilty from head to toe. So verse 13, he says, Their throats are open graves. Their tongues, meaning meaning they, meaning all of us as human beings, their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So see, in my Bible, I just underlined all all the different body parts. Throats, tongues, lips, mouths, feet, eyes. It's like from head to toes, man is guilty before God. So verse 19. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be silenced and the whole world held accountable to God. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Okay, he says, so whether you have the law or not, by obeying it, it doesn't make you righteous. Because nobody can obey all the law anyway. No one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And that, and that earlier part there, he says that every mouth will be silenced. And the whole world, you know, that expression, like, well, shut my mouth. I mean, you're gonna, you're gonna have a shut mouth. You won't be able to say anything in your defense before God because the, the only right thing to say is, I'm a sinner saved by grace through Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we have no defense because we're all sinners. So this part here about the last part there of verse 20 that I just read, rather through the law, we become conscious of sin. In the margin of your Bible, write down this verse, Galatians 3, 24 and 25. What does he mean by that? Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. The law does not make us righteous, but it does cause us to become conscious of sin. Here's Galatians three, twenty-four and 25. Paul said it a different way in this passage where he said, so the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith is come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. Okay now the law by the law he means the old testament scriptures what we would have in our bibles is the old testament is basically the law and you know a good jew would practice obeying the law as a means of being righteous before god and here's the problem in the day of jesus remember the pharisees jesus was always he was always rebuking them because they they didn't understand the purpose of the law which was to point out to them that they were sinners in fact Here's the three benefits of the law, and then I'll come back to the Pharisees. The benefits of the law is that it explains what sin is, it exposes how sinful we are, and it expresses our need for a Savior. That was the intention of God's law. He sets up a standard. He says, this is what is right, this is what is wrong. I want you to understand my holiness. I want you to understand what is right. I want you to understand what is wrong. And so it explains what sin is. If you violate what God says, then it is sin. And all of us have at some point violated you know, just even look at the Ten Commandments. I'm sure you broke three of them just driving here, right? Okay? No. No, seriously. I mean, you know, maybe, maybe you got mad and so you took the Lord's name in vain. Maybe a car drove by you and you coveted that car because it wasn't like your car. You know what I'm saying? It's real easy to just, our, the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things, Jeremiah says. Who can know it? So, you know, so there's the reality there. But it explains what sin is and then it exposes how sinful we are. Because unless you have the backdrop of the law, you don't you don't even know. Even Paul said in Romans 7, it gets to later, he says, I I didn't even know what coveting was until I read the law. Okay, how do you know if you're speeding when you go out here in Sicklin Road? Unless you have a speed limit sign on the side of the road that says, this is how fast you can go and no more. And if you exceed that, then you know, oh, I'm speeding, I'm breaking the law. So the law is given to expose how sinful we are But then here's the third thing. It was intended to to express a need for a savior because when you get exasperated enough, when you begin to realize, man, I can't keep all these laws. I can't obey all these things. You know, I break all these rules just before I, you know, get out of the house in the morning on the way to work. I break a lot. You know, so when you begin to think that way and you realize, then what happens? You're like, I can't live up to this. So I need a savior. I need someone who can forgive me and someone who can pay the price for me and someone who loves me i need a savior now here's what happened in jesus day the pharisees instead of the law exposing their sinful hearts and making them aware of just how sinful they were they looked at the law and they said okay um i i see that i'm deficient in some of these areas so what i need to do is step it up and add some more laws And then they would just make a burden out of the law and think that if I just obey and obey and obey and obey, then I will find favor with God. Instead, they should have looked at the law and realized, wow, the the law I can't live up to, and thus I need to cry out for a Savior. That's why they missed Jesus. That's why most of the Pharisees missed the Savior, because they looked at their own self-righteousness and thought, I'll just keep obeying the law, and I'll add more laws to help me feel good about myself. And it was this futile exercise of, I can't obey the law, so I'll add more. And then I can't obey those laws, so I'll add more. And it just is crippling. So the law is intended to explain what sin is, expose how sinful we are, and express our need for a Savior. Let me go back to this verse now, Galatians 3. When it says here in verse 24 that the law was put in charge, King James Version says that the law is our schoolmaster. And that word schoolmaster, or in the NIV where it says, was put in charge, it is the Greek word from which we get the word pedagogue. Now in the Greek culture, a pedagogue was a servant of a master whose responsibility was like a nanny. A pedagogue was someone who took a boy and led that boy to school And the pedagogue would be the one to lead the boy to school and to watch over that kid and to make sure that kid got home safely again. And that was the responsibility of the pedagogue. It was the Greek slave who was entrusted like a nanny to help supervise the kids and make sure they would get to school. The pedagogue was not the teacher. The pedagogue would bring the student, bring the boy of the house to the classroom where the teacher would teach the child. Now, Paul uses this terminology in this because what he's saying is that the law is not an end to anything. It is simply a means to bring you to Christ. It's like a pedagogue who is not itself the one who's going to bring you benefit, but he's going to lead you to what ultimately will bring you benefit, and that is Christ. So that's the intention of the law. It's to expose the sin, make us aware of what sin is, and then lead us to the Savior, which is Christ. J.B. Phillips said, it is the straight edge of the law that shows us how crooked we are." That then when we begin to recognize God's perfect and beautiful standard, we begin to see just how crooked our lives are in comparison. So it is intended to point us to Christ, to lead us to Christ, so that we might then find the Savior in Jesus. So he uses this terminology here, and then in verse 21, now this is, this is a great transition here in verse 21. So so notice this, and I know, you know, the first words are but now, and I know how this is going to sound, but I'm going to say it anyway because this is important. That's a big but there, my friends. All right, and here's the reason why. He's transitioning from the previous section which dealt with judgment to a new section which deals with justification. Everything we've just read up to this point has to do with judgment. God's wrath He's justifiable in his judgment. And so he's going to make the shift here now to justification. And the justification is going to be, notice if you have a subtitle there at verse 21, like my Bible does, it says righteousness through faith. He's going to use the word faith. Now, let me just advance here for you note takers. The word faith is going to be found 20 times just in these two chapters, three and four, 20 times. He's also going to use the word grace eight times between chapters 4, 5, and 6. And he's going to use the word gift seven times also between chapters 4, 5, and 6. So those are three important words as we read through chapter 3 and, and uh, into chapter 4 tonight. Faith, grace, and gift. Faith, grace, and gifts. So he's moving now, verse 21, but now. So that's a transition statement. He's like, okay, we've talked about judgment. Now we're gonna, he's going to talk about justification. But now... A righteousness from God, apart from the law, has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. Okay, who's he referring to? Jesus. He's referring to Jesus. He says, there's a righteousness from God, apart from the law. What was the only way they could be righteous before Christ was revealed? The law. You try to keep the law, you'd be a righteous person. Okay, and then through the sacrifice of animals, you're made righteous temporarily righteous, God's provision, an exchange of a life, the life of an animal for the life of the sinner. So that's how they would make atonement in temporary ways under the old covenant. And Paul says, now I want to to explain to you how you could really be made righteous apart from the law. Because again, the law was only pointing to Christ. The law was to lead you to Christ. How many times can you slaughter an animal year after year and recognize that it doesn't really atone for you completely? So all of this is pointing to Christ. He says, I want to explain to you that there's a righteousness of God apart from the law which has been made known to which, notice, the law and prophets testify. You don't need to turn there, but in Luke 24, when Jesus appeared to his disciples after he rose from the dead, he said in Luke 24, he said to them, speaking to his disciples after he rose from the dead, Luke twenty four forty four. This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. So Jesus even said to his own disciples, he said, look, all that was testified about me in the Old Testament scriptures, the law of Moses, the Psalms, the prophets, that includes all the Old Testament. He says all of it was speaking about me and pointing to me to reveal me in its proper time. And that's what Paul is referring to back here in Romans 3 when he says, this has been made to which the law and the prophets testify. All of the Old Testament speaks of Christ in various ways throughout. And so Paul says, I'm now going to explain to you why Messiah had to come. He says, verse 22, this righteousness from God comes through faith. Here's that word, faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. To all who believe, there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now pause there before we get to the good news in verse 24. So again, we've all sinned. He's established this. I hope everybody recognizes this about our human condition. We're sinners. We're born into sin, and we continue to sin. Nobody's perfect. There's none righteous. No, not one. He's established all this. He says, okay, now, we've all fall short of the glory of God, the perfect standard of God we don't measure up to. It's the vertical. When we compare ourselves vertically, we don't measure up. So, in that sense, we're guilty, but verse 25, and are justified freely by his grace, there's the word grace, through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now, let me slow it down here, because this is one of the things about the book of Romans. I mean, you know, again... This was required reading at Stanford University Law School 100 years ago because of the way that Paul so eloquently makes the case and, and argues so clearly about things, but he's going to use some pretty strong theological terms. So I'm going to give you some definitions of some words as we go through this. Like, what in the world, what is justification? Look at verse 23. That's the first word I want us to look at. And are justified freely by his grace. Circle the word justified. And here's a basic definition for justification. Justification is the legal and formal acquittal From guilt by God as judge and his pronouncement on us as righteous in his sight. Okay, that's, that is justification. It is a legal term where God like throws the gavel down and says, I acquit you. You are found not guilty, even though we are guilty. Why are we found not guilty? We're justified how? Freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus so because of what Christ has done for us went which is grace okay the acronym grace in case you've never heard before God's riches at Christ's expense G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense is an open ocean. Jump in and you'll find the your connection Run your new life.
1: We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection, as Pastor Gary Hamrick teaches through the Book of Romans. If you'd like to hear this message again, or others like it, feel free to visit our website at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You can also download our mobile app so you can have these teachings with you on the go. That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies, and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, CornerstoneConnection.cc. Simply look under the Teachings tab. While you're there, feel free to take some time to learn about the church this radio ministry originates from, Cornerstone Chapel. We'd be happy to meet you. You'll find all you need to know about service times and other information on our website. Again, that is CornerstoneConnection.cc. We hope and pray that you've been blessed by today's teaching in the book of Romans. Keep reading on your own in this book to discover many other inspiring and motivating things. Pastor Gary will continue teaching through the book of Romans on our next edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul, that you've got no place to go, but still you know. You're not a